Chapter Thirty of Devlin the Barber by B. L. Fargin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. I tried the door of the room in which I had left Devlin and Mr. Kenneth Dowsett. It was locked. Enter, said Devlin, unlocking the door. They were both in the room, Devlin smiling and unruffled, Mr. Dowsett in the full possession of his senses and terribly ill at ease. He turned like death when he saw me. "'This gentleman,' said Devlin, "'is angry at being detained by me, and would have resorted to violence if he thought it would serve his purpose. I have waited for your return to decide what to do.' "'You shall pay for this,' Mr. Dowsett managed to say. "'You and your confederate. If there is justice in this world, I will make you smart for your unlawful proceedings.' "'There is justice in the world,' I said calmly as you shall find he was silent with a weight of guilt upon his soul he did not know how to reply to this remark but he managed presently to ask how long do you intend to detain me you shall know soon i said and by a gesture i intimated to devlin that i wished to confer with him alone he accompanied me from the room and we stood in the passage keeping guard upon the door which devlin locked from the outside there are no means of escape from within he said i have seen to that in a low tone i told him what i had done and he approved the question now is i said what step are we next to take there lies the difficulty replied devlin you see my dear sir we have no evidence upon which to arrest him no evidence i cried is there not his own confession of guilt devlin shook his head spiritual evidence only my dear sir not admissible in any court of law in the world impossible to obtain his arrest in a foreign country upon such a slender thread he might bring the same accusation against us and we might all be thrown into jail and kept there for months this is not what i bargained for our best plan will be to get him back to england then you can take some practicable step but how to manage that i asked it can be managed i think said devlin i have a scheme he knows nothing of the confession he has made lizzie melladew's name has not been mentioned between us it is only his fears and my strength of will that make him tractable before i put my scheme into operation go upstairs to see if his wife and daughter are in the house i have my suspicions that they have flown you will find me here when you come down I ran upstairs to the apartments occupied by Mrs. Dowsett. Devlin's suspicions were confirmed. The two women were gone. There were evidences around of a hasty flight, the most pregnant of them being a small box which had been broken open. I judged immediately that this was the box which had contained the two thousand sovereigns, and, indeed, I found two of the sovereigns under a couch, whither they had rolled while the bulk was being taken out. The conclusion I came to was that the women, frightened that all was discovered, as I had informed them, had broken open the box, and packed the gold away upon their persons, had taken to flight, leaving Mr. Dowsett to his fate. I went down to Devlin, and acquainted him with the result of my investigation. "'Quite as I expected,' he said. "'Let them go for the present. Our concern is with the man inside. I am going to put my scheme into operation.' what is the time five minutes past two i replied looking at my watch in capital time said devlin 
Wait you here until half-past two. Then go in to Mr. Dowsett, and apologize to him for the indignity to which he has been subjected. He will fume and threaten. Let him. Be you humble and contrite, and say that you are very, very sorry. Throw all the blame upon me. Say that I have deceived you, imposed upon you, robbed you, anything that comes to your mind. To me it matters not. It will assist our scheme. There is no fear of Mr. Dowsett not waiting till you go in to him. He is frightened out of his life. Your humble attitude will give him courage. He will think himself safe. I cannot imagine, I said, how this will help us. Don't imagine, said Devlin curtly. Leave it to me. The first thing Mr. Dowsett will do when he finds himself free will be to go up to the rooms in which he left the three women who accompanied him here. Meanwhile, you will keep watch outside the house. But on no account must he see you. Trust to me for the rest. He had served me so faithfully up to this point that I trusted him unhesitatingly. As he had prophesied, Mr. Dowsett kept quiet within the room. Listening at the door, I heard him moving softly about, but he made no attempt to come out. At half-past two I entered the room, and followed Devlin's instructions to the letter. Mr. Dowsett, his courage restored, immediately began to bluster and threaten. I listened submissively, and made pretense of being greatly distressed. When he had exhausted himself, I left him with further profuse expressions of regret, and as I issued from the house I saw him mounting the stairs to his wife's apartments. Emerging into the Rue de la Paix, I planted myself in a spot upon which I had a clear view of the house, and was myself concealed from observation. Scarcely was I settled in my position when I saw a man, with a telegram in his hand, enter the house. He remained there a very few moments and then came out and walked away, having, presumably, delivered his message. Within a space of five minutes, Mr. Dowsett, holding the telegram, came forth, and, casting sharp glances around, quickly left the Rue de la Paix. Before he had turned the corner, Devlin joined me, humming a French song. Together we followed Mr. Dowsett at a safe distance. "'My scheme is alive,' he said. I asked him to explain it to me. You saw the messenger, he said, enter with a telegram. You saw him leave without it. You saw Mr. Dowsett come out with the telegram. It was from his wife. From his wife? Sent by me. The telegram was to the effect that something had occurred which had induced her to leave Boulogne immediately, and that she, her daughter, and the young lady with them. I was careful not to mention her name, you see. Would be in Ramsgate, waiting for him. He was to come by the afternoon boat, and she would meet him on the pier. See, he is entering the shipping office now, to secure his passage. What are we to do? We travel in the same boat, going aboard at the last moment. After the boat has started, not before, he will know that we are fellow passengers. All happened as Devlin had arranged. By his skilful pioneering, we did not lose sight of Mr. Dowsett until he stepped aboard the boat and I inferred from his manner that by that time he had regained confidence and deemed his secret safe. When we slipped on deck, at the very moment of starting, Mr. Dowsett was below in the saloon. There were not many passengers, and the French coast was still in view, when Mr. Dowsett came up from the saloon and stood by the bulwarks, within a yard or two of the seat upon which we were sitting. We did not speak, 
but sat watching him. Turning, he saw us. "'You here!' he cried. "'By your leave,' I replied. "'Not by my leave,' he said. "'Why are you following me?' "'Have you any reason,' I said, "'for suspecting that you are being followed?' "'I was a fool to ask the question,' he said, turning abruptly away. I did not speak, but kept my eyes upon him. I was determined not to lose sight of him for another moment. Some understanding of this determination seemed to dawn upon him. He looked at me two or three times with wavering eyes, and presently, summoning all his courage to his aid, he stared me full in the face. I met his gaze sternly, unflinchingly, until I compelled him to lower his eyes. Then he suddenly went down into the saloon. I stepped swiftly after him, and Devlin accompanied me. For the purpose of testing me, he turned and ascended again to the deck. We followed him. "'Perhaps,' he said, "'you will explain what you mean by this conduct?' "'What need to ask?' I replied. "'Let your conscience answer.' "'It is an outrage,' he said after a pause. "'If you continue to annoy me, I shall appeal to the captain.' "'Do so,' I said and prepare to meet at once the charge I shall bring against you." He did not dare to inquire the nature of the charge. He did not dare to move or speak again. Sullenly, and with an inward raging, the traces of which he could not disguise, he remained by the bulwarks, staring down at the water. Suddenly there was a lull aboard. The machinery stopped working. "'Some accident,' said Devlin, and went to ascertain its nature. Returning, he said, We shall be delayed a couple of hours, most likely. It will be dark night when we arrive. It was as he said. For two hours or more we made no progress. Then, the necessary repairs having been made, we started again. By that time it was evening, and still Mr. Dowsett neither moved nor spoke. Night crept on. There was no moon, and not a star visible in the dark sky. It was black night. Mr. Dowsett strove to take advantage of this to evade and escape from us, but we kept so close to him that we could have touched him by the movement of a finger. Where he glided, we glided, and still he uttered not a word. We stood in a group alone, isolated, as it were, from the other passengers. After repeated attempts to slip from us, Mr. Dowsett remained still again. In the midst of the darkness Devlin's voice stole upon our ears short-sighted fool he said to think that crime can be forever successfully hidden wherever man moves the spirit of committed evil accompanies him and leads him to his doom his peril lies not only in mortal insight but in the unseen mysterious agencies by which he is surrounded blood for blood it is the immutable law and if by some human failure he for a time evades his punishment at the hand of man he suffers a punishment more terrible than human justice can execute upon him. Waking or sleeping, it is ever with him. Look out upon the darkness, and behold, rising from the shadows, the form of the innocent girl whose life you took. To the last moment of your life her spirit shall accompany you. Till death claims you, you shall know no peace." Whatever of malignancy there was in Devlin's voice, the words he spoke conveyed the stern eternal truth. It seemed to me, as I gazed before me, that the spirit he evoked loomed sadly among the shadows. 
onward through the sea the boat ploughed its way and we three stood close together encompassed by a dread and awful silence for devlin spoke no more nor from mr dowsett's lips did any sound issue in the distance we saw the lights of ramsgate pier and before the captain or any person on board was aware of its close contiguity we suddenly dashed against it i and all others on board were thrown violently down by the shock there were loud cries of alarm and agony and i found myself separated from my companions from the water came appeals for help from some who had been tossed overboard by the collision and a period of great confusion ensued what help could be given was afforded and when i succeeded in reaching the stone pier in safety i heard that a few of the passengers were missing among them devlin and mr dowsett i remained on the pier till past one o'clock in the morning rendering what little assistance i could and eventually i learned that all who had been in danger were saved with the exception of the two whom i have named it was early morning before the body of one was recovered that one was mr kenneth dowsett he lay dead in a boat his face convulsed with agony upturned to the grey light of the coming day of devlin no trace could be found there is but little more to tell with the exception of the part which devlin played in it and which has now for the first time been related the story became public property and kenneth dowsett was proved to be the murderer of poor mary melladew time has softened the grief of mr and mrs melladew and they find in the love of lizzie and her husband richard carton some solace for the tragedy which a ruthless hand committed mr portland paid me the two thousand pounds he promised and i am in a fair way of business fanny lemon and her husband live in retirement in the country not a word ever passes their lips in connection with the events i have related i have seen and heard nothing of mrs dowsett and her daughter a short time ago my wife and i were in an open-air public place of amusement witnessing a wonderful exhibition the extraordinary novelty of which consisted in a man floating earthwards from the clouds at a distance of some thousands of feet from the earth look there said my wife i had given her such faithful and vivid descriptions of devlin that she always said if it happened that he still lived and she saw him that she could not fail to recognize him i turned in the direction she indicated and standing alone apart from the crowd once more saw devlin he was watching the performer floating from heaven to earth there was a strange smile upon his lips i could not restrain the impulse which prompted me to move towards him my approach attracted his attention he looked at me and was gone i have never seen him since the last words i heard him speak recur to me there was in them the spirit of divine justice crimes cannot be for ever successfully hidden the monsters who commit them shall be brought to their doom by those whose duty it is to track them down or by unseen mysterious agencies by which they are surrounded or by their own confession but let the legislators see to it let those who call themselves philanthropists and humanitarians see to it let those whose fortune it is to possess great wealth see to it there are in this modern babylon fester spots of corruption wherein nothing but sin and vice can possibly grow they are crowded with human beings ripened for evil 
they are crowded with human souls lost to salvation they are an infamy and the infamy rests not upon the creatures who are born and bred there but upon those who allow them to be and who have the undoubted power to cleanse them and make them healthy for body and soul for generation upon generation have they been allowed to breed corruption to this day they are allowed to do so all who have the remedy in their hands are responsible the preacher who preaches and does not practice the rich who can afford but grudges to give the statesman with his dilettante efforts towards social improvement and his huge efforts toward place and power one and all of these are accountable for the sin it is no less and it rests upon them footnote i have this desk with its contents now in my possession the extraordinary revelations made therein which i may mention have no connection with the present story will one day be made public b l f end of chapter 30 end of devlin the barber by b l fargen recording by lee smalley